I have a friend from high school who, when she was 17, discovered that she had been adopted by her dad. She was raised by these two parents, but was the mom's child, but not her father's. He'd adopted her. At that point, she rebelled. She felt like she had no identity. She wasn't sure of who she was. She began searching for her birth father, and she began running and ran off to New York, and her life has been a mess ever since because her identity got uprooted, and she chose to rebel against the family she'd known and run away. You see, where we get our identity, how we think about who we are, what our identity is rooted in is critical for us. It's critical for how we live our lives. It's important to think about where is our identity. And I just want to ask you right now, in your own heart of hearts, to ask yourself, where is my identity? Where do I get my identity from? Is it, is it your job? Is it your family? Maybe your children? The kind of work you do? The friends you have? Where do you, in your own heart of hearts, get your identity? Just think about that for a moment. See, as God has revealed to me over time, much of my identity has been wrapped up in my own father and what he's thought of me and wanting his approval. And so whether I had that approval or not really determined my self-identity as to who I was. See, our Heavenly Father knows our hearts. He knows our tendency to forget to depend on him for our identity and to look to other things for who we are. He knows our struggle with that. And he longs for us, though, to get our identity from him, from what he has done for us. Think of Israel for a moment. We're studying through the book of Exodus. And Israel was a people who were descended from Abraham, who in that culture was really a nobody. The nation had grown. They'd become slaves in Egypt, and they'd expanded to a large group, probably a couple million people, but they were slaves. What was their identity? Simply as nobodies, as slaves that were trapped in Egypt, and that's all they knew of themselves. And yet God begins to move in the book of Exodus to call them out and to give them a brand new identity, to redeem them so their identity could be rooted in Him and what He had done for them in redeeming them not in their past, not in their slavery, not in what had happened before, but in him. And it's the same for us, isn't it? God is constantly drawing us to himself to help us find our identity, not in our past, in our family, in our failure, in our sinful past, in our struggles, but in our identity in him, in what he has done for us in redeeming us. But we all struggle with that. It's not easy for us to really trust him. A picture that comes to my mind is for this is when I was uh, 16 and I was just learning to drive. Just had my license. And my parents let me drive that long stretch with them in the car between Burns and Bend, Oregon. If you've driven that stretch, you know what it's like. <laughs> long desert. And I got about halfway through that Never driven long distance before at all, and I just spaced out. 
I remember thinking about what was the dashboard and the dials and what was inside the car, and I totally lost conception of what was outside. And I began to drift off the road. Now, as we were traveling, my dad was sitting beside me and my mom in the back seat. My dad was asleep. My mom was wide awake. (laughs) As soon as I started drifting off the road, she yelled, caught my attention, and I just caught myself before we went off. It was a scary moment. But I look at that and I think, what a great picture of what happens with us with our sense of identity. We, We forget the bigger picture of what God has done in redeeming us and calling us forth and making us his people. And we get caught up in the things that are close and in our performance and our job and and what people think of us and all of that, and our identity gets wrapped up in all that, and we begin to drift off. And we begin to drift off into legalism. We drift off into worldliness, thinking that somehow we need other things for life to feel good about ourselves. We, we think maybe if I perform better, then God will accept me and I'll feel better. Well, and we drift off into different religious thoughts and ideas that are wrong thinking about God. We drift off into selfishness. I just need to feel better about myself. Immorality, addictions, we, we drift off because we lose perspective. And I believe that whenever Christians or the church gets off course, it's because we've forgotten who we are. We've taken our eyes off our identity in Christ and in Christ alone. So in our passage today, we will be reminded of where our identity comes from. And we'll see God's heart for us, how he longs for us to remember what he has done and to keep our eyes focused on the big picture out there and not just what's inside our narrow worlds. So let's look together at Exodus chapter 12. Now, last week, you looked at all the first nine plagues of how God did a dramatic thing to show his power over all the other gods of Egypt and to show his power over the worldly powers of Pharaoh and the nation of Egypt. And now the nation is poised for their final redemption. They're poised, they're ready for God's tenth plague of killing the firstborn of Egypt. But in this chapter, chapter 12... God makes a little aside. He prepares them for their redemption, for the plague on the firstborn of Egypt, but he takes time to establish a feast, the Passover feast, the Feast of Unleavened Bread. And you might ask, why is that? Why, Why doesn't he just redeem them? Why doesn't he just call them out of Egypt and get on with it? Why did it take time to establish a feast? Well, it's because God is not about just saving his people. He's about creating a people who can trust him, who can walk with him, who will celebrate regularly what he has done so their identity will be firmly rooted in him and not in the world around them. So God established a feast. Let's look at verse 1 of chapter 12. It begins this way. It was already read a few moments ago. Yahweh said to Moses and Aaron in Egypt, This month is to be for you the first month, the first month of your year. Now he begins by saying, Oh, by the way, this is the month here to celebrate the new year. 
New Year's Day begins here. Now, why is this so significant? Well, because in all that culture, the new year was based on the agricultural calendar. The people worked and worked and worked, and when they finished the harvest, that was the end of the year. And then the beginning of the year always started in the fall, October, November, that time of year, when harvest was done, and they started a whole new year when they started working again to provide for themselves. And all the different cultures celebrated that cycle for the new year. This, the Passover, was established in the spring, not in the fall. You see, what God is saying is he's saying, I want your whole identity, your whole calendar, everything you do to relate around my redemption of you. What I have done for you, not what you have done to provide for yourselves in the harvest. So this is to be your new year. It was March, April. It's when we celebrate Easter. It's that same time. That that was to be the beginning of the new year for them. Now, if you look at the history of the Jews, of the nation of Israel, you find that for a while they had two calendars. The agricultural one, which started in the fall, and this one that God establishes here that started in the spring. But over time, they dropped this one, And they only celebrated the new year in the fall like every other nation. And that's when Rosh Hashanah, head of the year, new year, is celebrated today by the Jews. It's in the fall according to the agricultural calendar. See, unfortunately, they've forgotten who they are. They've forgotten their rootedness is what God has done, not in what they've accomplished themselves. So he wants their identity to be firmly established in what he's done in redeeming them. And I want to read verses 3 through 13. And as he establishes and tells them and explains to them the whole Passover event, that is their event of redemption, that is their place of identity. Verse 3, Tell the whole community of Israel that on the tenth day of this month, each man is to take a lamb for his family, one for each household. If any household is too small for a whole lamb, they must share one with their nearest neighbor, having taken into account the number of people there are. You are to determine the amount of lamb needed in accordance with what each person will eat. The animals you choose must be year-old males without defect, and you may take them from the sheep or the goats. Take care of them until the 14th day of the month, when all the people of the community of Israel must slaughter them at twilight. Then they are to take some of the blood and put it on the sides and the tops of the door frames of the houses where they eat the lambs. That same night they are to eat the meat roasted over the fire along with bitter herbs and bread made without yeast. Do not eat the meat raw or cooked in water, but roast it over the fire, head, legs, and inner parts. Do not leave any of it till morning. If some is left till morning, you must burn it. This is how you are to eat it, with your cloak tucked into your belt, your sandals on your feet, and your staff in your hand. Eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. Because on that same night, I will pass through Egypt and strike down every firstborn, both men and animals, and I will bring judgment on all the gods of Egypt. I am Yahweh. The blood will be a sign for you on the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you. No destructive plague will touch you when I strike Egypt. Now imagine this. Put yourself in the position 
of the nation of Israel. On the tenth night, their tenth day, they're to take a lamb. They're to pick a lamb or a goat out of the flock. And they're to look carefully at it and make sure it's unblemished and it's about a year old. And they've got to take that and guard it and take care of it and keep watch over it for four days. Then at twilight, the whole nation of Israel was to take that lamb and slit its throat at the same time and drain the blood, roast that lamb and take the blood, take some of the blood and put it on the doorframe and on the sides of their houses to make sure their house is marked with the blood. Then they're to eat the lamb. They're to eat bitter herbs to remind them of their bitterness, of the pain and struggle of their slavery in Egypt. And they're to eat it standing up with their cloaks tucked into their belt and a staff in their hand ready to go because that very night God would lead them out of slavery. It had to be a very dramatic event for them as they saw that the blood of the Lamb was what protected them and covered them. Because as God said, He would come and He would come to kill the firstborn throughout Egypt of both men and of animals, including the firstborn of of Pharaoh himself. But as God did so, He would look and He would see the blood. And when He saw the blood, He would pass over that house. And all within that house would be spared. What a visual aid for us, isn't it, folks? God was teaching them that I am in charge of your redemption. You don't do anything, Israel, to be saved, except make sure that you are marked with the blood. To make sure that you are covered with the blood. God didn't stand there and go, okay, let's see. Have they followed enough rules? Have they been good enough? Have they done what I've wanted them to He didn't look at any of that. All he looked for was the blood. The same is true for you and for me, folks. When God looks at us, he doesn't say, how good are you? How much have you done? Have you kept enough rules? Are you together in your life? All he looks for is, are you under the blood? Have you trusted in the blood? Are you covered by the blood of my sacrificial lamb, my Passover lamb, Jesus? And if you are, then you're my people, and I will spare you and protect you, and I'm calling you out and creating you and giving you a brand new identity. This is your identity. I will pass over you. What a marvelous picture of our redemption. Jesus is our lamb that is slain for us. He is substituted for us. He is killed for us. And our response is just, needs to be, our our part in it is just to make sure that we've trusted in the blood, that our houses are covered with the blood, that we are under the blood. So when God sees us, he sees, oh, you're one of mine. You've trusted in the blood. You're forgiven. That's all God looks for. That's all God looks for. Isn't that something to rejoice about? All we have to do is trust in him. It's like the whole disaster of Katrina. When the hurricane came and and the people were told, evacuate and we will provide shelter for you. We will protect you if you'll only evacuate and come. 
And people had a choice. Would they evacuate or not? Many chose to stay, and many of those died simply because they didn't receive the, the offer of protection. And that's, that's who we are, folks. We're simply people. If we're the children of God, we're simply people who have said, I accept the blood. I accept your offer of protection. I'm not together. I struggle. I fail. But I accept your offer of shelter under the blood of Jesus. So that is who we are, a redeemed people, a chosen people, a loved people who are safe because we are under the blood. So your slavery to sin doesn't matter. Your background, your family dynamics, your abuse, your addictions, none of that matters to God. All he's looking for is, are you under the blood? If so, you have a whole new identity. A whole new year begins. A whole new life begins at that point. So that's who we are. We are a redeemed people. If we put our faith in Christ, we are new. We are redeemed. But again, God knows that we are forgetful. <laughs> that we forget our identity in Him. That we start looking to other things for our identity. So He wants us to be not only a redeemed people, but a remembering people. Look at what He does for Israel. Beginning in verse 14. This is a day... You are to commemorate. It's a memorial day for you. For the generations to come, you shall celebrate it as a festival to the Lord, a lasting ordinance. Verse 17. Celebrate the Feast of Unleavened Bread because it was on this very day that I brought your divisions out of Egypt. Celebrate this day as a lasting ordinance for the generations to come. Verse 21. Moses summons all the elders of Israel and says to them, Go, prepare the Passover feast. Take a bunch of hyssop, dip it in the blood in the basin and put some of the blood on the top and on both sides of the door frame. Not one of you shall go out the door of his house till morning. When the Lord goes through the land to strike down the Egyptians, he will see the blood on the top and the sides of the door frame and will pass over that doorway and he will not permit the destroyer to enter into your houses and strike you down. So Moses passes it on to the elders. And then God says this in verse 24. Obey these instructions as a lasting ordinance for you and your descendants. When you enter the land that the Lord will give you as he promised, observe this ceremony. And when your children ask you, what does this ceremony mean to you? Then tell them it's the Passover sacrifice to Yahweh, who passed over the houses of the Israelites in Egypt and spared our homes when he struck down the Egyptians. He says, this is to be a memorial for all generations. You need to celebrate this feast every year in the first month of the year. Now, why is that so important to God? Because we are a forgetful people. And we forget who we are. We forget who we are in Christ. We forget we've been redeemed. Israel would forget. And so they were told to celebrate this every year so they would be reminded every year that their identity is in being a redeemed, chosen people, not in anything else. Unfortunately, what happened with Israel is they forgot. They quit celebrating the Passover over time. And every time, as you read the Old Testament, there was a great revival in Israel. They would sell it, go back to celebrating the feasts, in particular the Passover feast. And there's some wonderful celebrations and 
Second Chronicles 30 and 35, where Hezekiah brings a great revival to the nation and they celebrate a huge Passover. And then Josiah finds the book of the law and their first response is to celebrate a huge Passover celebration, the greatest one Israel had ever celebrated before. Why? Because they were remembering who they were. They'd forgotten and they had to go back again and again to be reminded who they were that God had redeemed them. It's interesting today, if you look at the Jewish Passover feast that they celebrate every year, the Jews today, I don't know how many of you have actually had the opportunity to be walked through a Passover Seder and see the parts of it and how they celebrate it. It's a wonderful thing with so many allusions to Christ. It's a marvelous, marvelous thing. And when they do that, when they celebrate it according to the scriptures, one of the things they do that they've developed over the years is part of it is they take unleavened bread, which this is. This is Jewish unleavened bread, matzah, they call it, matzah cracker, bread. And they take three pieces of this and they put it in a, in a bag. And during the feast, they take out the middle one and then they break it. And then they put it in a smaller bag and they hide it. Then later, during the feast, the children go and find the bag that's been hidden and they bring it back. And they break it and they give a piece to each person at the meal. Now, there's many things that are uh, symbolic here, but just think about it. Matzah cracker, it's full of holes. It's been pierced. It has these darker lines that go up and down, stripes. It's the middle bread that gets taken out. And if you ask the Jews, the Jewish rabbis, why three pieces of bread? They aren't sure. <laughs> they don't have a good explanation. Why do you take the middle one out? We aren't sure. Why do you break it? Well, we don't really know. Why do you hide it, bring it out, and then eat it? We don't know. We know, don't we? God has given the Jews a visual aid of who Jesus is. Jesus, Father, Son, Holy Spirit are the three pieces of bread. The center one is taken out and broken and buried. Comes back to life and becomes our sustenance that we all partake of. Isn't that marvelous? Uh, there's much more symbolism, and if you've never had the opportunity to see a Christian explanation of the Jewish Passover Seder, I encourage you to do so. We have asked Jews for Jesus to come and do that. Unfortunately, we can't get them until January of 2008. <laughs> so don't hold your breath, but they are coming. <laughs> and they will explain the entire Passover Seder for us at that time. But what a marvelous picture of God's forgiveness for us, what he's done. So the Jews are to do this feast every year, to remember who they are, that they are redeemed people. And every reenactment right up to today is meant to be for the Jews a reminder that though I wasn't there 3,500 years ago, when those people were brought out of slavery by God's mighty hand, Yet I, by faith, become part of it by reenacting it, by trusting in what God did in making me one of his people today. 
Same for us, folks, with communion, isn't it? God has established communion because he knows we're forgetful people. And he says, do this regularly because you're going to forget who you are, that you have a new identity in me, and I want you to celebrate communion regularly so that you can go back and remember that your identity is not in what you do. It's not in your church. It's not in your group. It's not in your job or anything else. It's in my calling you forth. And that's our foundational, basic identity. So we need to gather together as the people of God and celebrate that together. That's God's plan for us. To help us remember our identity. We need memorial stones, don't we, folks? We need ways of remembering who we are because we are a forgetful people. And we get more forgetful the older we get, don't we? (laughs) It's true. So we need memorial stones in our lives. They can be a lot of different things. Communion is one. They can be others. Let me give you one that I have over my desk at work. It's a picture of two of my kids and a mountain goat. Some of you have heard the story when I went backpacking with the family and it was our last morning there and I, we were up in the mountains and I was by a beautiful lake. I got up early and sat by the lake and I was just talking to the Lord and I said, Lord, you know what? I would love to see a wild goat. I haven't seen one on this trip. I'd love to see a mountain goat. But it's up to you. You know, I know you love me even if you don't give me that, but that would just be a real blessing. And I scoured the hills and looked all around and no mountain goat. And I kind of went to pack up camp and to leave and just said, okay, Lord, I know you still love me. I don't need that. It's okay if I didn't see a mountain goat. Walked back to camp and there standing right by camp was a mountain goat. And I have the pictures to prove it. It stayed there while we ate breakfast, while we packed up camp, until we were about to leave. It just stood there about 50 feet from camp and kind of wandered back and forth and stayed there the whole time. As someone said to me, the, la- the goat was probably thinking, okay, Lord, can I leave now? <laughs> <laughs> Haven't I hung around long enough? <laughs> These are strange creatures. I don't want to stay here any longer. But for me, that picture is a reminder of God's tender love for every one of us. You see, God longs to give us tastes of his love if our eyes will only be open, if we'll only remember who we are in him, that we are his redeemed people, and he loves us. Well, that's a memorial stone for me. I hope you have memorial stones, pictures, things, ways God has provided for you, reminders, books, whatever it might be. Memorial stones like communion, which is a reminder for us that we are a redeemed people because we forget so easily. We need to be reminded of God's exuberant, relentless, kind, gentle, tender love for us. Well, the people of Israel were a redeemed people and a remembering people. We're to be a redeemed people. That's our identity and a remembering people. And we are also to be a responsive people. Notice how Israel responded at the end. Verse 27, halfway through. Then the people bowed down and worshipped. The Israelites did just what Yahweh commanded Moses and Aaron. Two responses. 
First, they worshipped. They bowed down and worshipped. You see, when you, when you have your identity set and you realize what God has done for you, there's only one proper response to begin with, and that's just worship. And that's one reason we gather together as the people of God, so that we together can worship, so that we together can be reminded of what God has done, that we are redeemed and that's our basic identity. And so we gather together as the people of God in a large group because we need one another to help us remember, to gather together and through songs, through responsive readings like we did, through hearing the word taught, to remind ourselves of who we are, to remind ourselves of the story of God and what he's done. Because we hear so many competing voices all week long and we forget who we are. So God says, gather together as the congregation. Tell the story again. Remember who you are. Don't get isolated. If you get isolated, you're like a a watering hole that dries up by itself. But when we see ourselves as part of something far bigger than we are, we're part of the people of God from the beginning of time to the end of time, and we're part of the people of God all over the world right now at this present time, and gathering together as the people of God and retelling the story reminds us that we're part of something far bigger than ourselves, far bigger than our small little group. We're part of something God is doing to build his kingdom throughout this world. So we gather together to worship. And Israel gathered and worshipped and responded. Second response they had was obedience, to obey, to respond in obedience. They did what God asked. They did it. But notice they didn't do it, they didn't obey to get God's grace, to get God to redeem them. God had already promised. God had was, it was a done deal. God was going to do it. It was a finished work. They obeyed out of response, a response of love to what God had done. You see, our obedience to God comes out of our worship, and it's to be a response of, Lord, you love me, therefore I long to please you. I want to know your will, and I want to do your will. I want to do what you've called me to do because I'm your child. You've adopted me in. You have redeemed me. I have a new identity. I'm a new creation in you. And I want to live according to your will. So that's our new identity in Christ. We're redeemed people. Covered by the blood of the Lamb. A remembering people. And a responding people. And I love this picture in Luke 22 where Jesus gathers his disciples on the night he was betrayed. And it says in Luke 22, starting in verse 7, Then came the day of unleavened bread on which the Passover lamb had to be sacrificed. Jesus sent Peter and John saying, Go and make preparations for us to eat the Passover. Verse 14, When the hour came, Jesus and his apostles reclined at the table. And Jesus said to them, I have eagerly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. 
For I tell you, I will not eat it again until it finds fulfillment in the kingdom of God. So Jesus and all his apostles, all the disciples, coming out of that Jewish heritage to celebrate the Passover regularly, he sits down and he declares to them and to us for all time, uh, by the way, I'm the Passover lamb. I'm the unleavened bread that's broken. I am the cup. My life poured out for you is a picture of my blood. I am the Passover lamb. I've eagerly desired to eat this with you. And so we celebrate communion regularly, and we want to take communion together now. Jesus has eagerly desired to take communion with you. He bought your life with his blood. And he eagerly desires to share that life with you, to communion with you, to share his life with you and with me. So we want to do that together now. Let's pray as we prepare our hearts. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for being our Passover lamb. Thank you, Lord, for seeing us in our slavery, in our neediness, in our lostness, trapped, unable to save ourselves. And you reached down, provided the Passover lamb, became the Passover lamb, and your blood covers us when we, by faith, simply trust in you. So, Lord, we celebrate communion now. We turn to you and we delightedly turn to you in celebration, thanking you for what you have done in redeeming us, saving us from our own sin. Thank you, it's all of you and none of us. We give you praise in Jesus' name. Amen.